Has anyone ever read something in the Bible and thought to yourself, I don't like that? Have you ever read something that troubled you, something that you said, I just, I just don't think that's right? But it's in the Bible, so it must be. There are some passages which really seem to rub against our, rub against our sense of fairness, our sense of goodness, our sense of rightness. And the parable that we're going to read together today could be one of those that seems to bother people. In fact, I know for a fact it does bother people until they understand it more accurately. Would you open your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 20? By the time we get to these verses, you can tell by how late in the book of Matthew this parable comes. Jesus was rounding third and headed for home. He was in the last week or so of his life on earth. He had, he would, had begun marking off all of the things that his father had sent him to do. And Jesus knew, I have to be in Jerusalem by the Passover. Because that's when I'm going to lay down my life for the sins of all the world. Well, as he was making final checks on the things that he needed to do, he told this parable in Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the workers on one denarius, and by the way, this you'll see as the parable unfolds, the workday began at 6 o'clock. And so 6 a.m. is when the landowner went out to hire these first workers. And so he sent them into his vineyard for the day. When he went out about 9 in the morning, he saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He, they had just come from Hardee's. He said to them, you also go into my vineyard and I will give you whatever is fair. Now you see, the first set of workers, he agreed on the wage and sent them out to work. Now in verse 4, 9 o'clock workers, he just said, I'm going to give you what's fair. So off they went. About noon in verse 5, about noon and about 3 he went out again and did the same thing. Then about five o'clock in the afternoon, he went and found others standing around and said to them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one hired us, they said to him. You also go into my vineyard, he told them. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard told his foreman, call the workers and give them their pay, starting with the last group, in other words, the ones hired at five o'clock, and ending with the first. When those who were hired about five came, they each received one denarius. That's the agreed upon wage for a, a day of labor. And so if we were thinking $10 an hour, he paid them $120 because they worked 12 hours that day. So he paid the ones hired at five o'clock uh, one denarius, $120. So when the first ones came, came, they assumed they would get more, but they also received a denarius each, same pay as the last group. When they received it, they began to complain to the landowner. These last men put in one hour, and you made them equal to us who bore the burden of the day's work and the burning heat. He replied to them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. 
Didn't you agree with me on a denarius? Take what's yours and go. I want to give to this last man the same as I gave you. And then drop down into verse 15 and 16 with me. Don't I have the right to do what I want with what is mine? Are you jealous because I'm generous? So the last will be first and the first last. This parable is troubling. It's troubling for a lot of people like us. Jesus saved me when I was 12 years old. And I'm not at all claiming a perfect record, but I went through no wild periods of life. I did not sow any wild oats. I did not say, well, I'm going to experiment, and then, then later in life I'm going to settle down some. I pretty much have tried to do what the Lord wanted me to do. I didn't have seasons of wandering. And at first reading, this parable seems to say that the hellion, pagan, wild living, who on his deathbed whispers a prayer of confession and repentance is going to get the same reward that I am. And I don't like that. I don't think it's fair. I don't think that the person who has lived for himself or herself all of his life and then makes a deathbed repentance should enter into heaven and receive the same sort of blessing that I get. And I bet you don't either. Now, I'm up here doing some confessing, but I bet that there are other people who are out there. You may even be looking around this room and saying, she better not get what I get. <laughs> you may be thinking, hey, hey, Gary, you're kind of new here. You're only, you're only five and a half months in, but there are some people here, and they better not get what I get. That isn't fair. They show up here half the time. I'm here every time the doors are open. They marginally commit to the church, and if it's convenient, they will be here. I am here serving in times that no one even knows that I'm in the building. That's not fair. In fact, the reason that Jesus told this parable is because of something that Peter said back up in chapter 19. Look with me, please. In chapter 19, verse 27... After a little discussion about getting into the kingdom of heaven, something about the comments made Peter ask this question in verse 27. Then Peter responded to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. So what will there be for us? Jesus had talked about the rich people won't give up their luxurious lifestyles to surrender everything to Jesus. They enjoy the comforts of this life. And so they're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And Peter said, but that's not us. Jesus, what about us? Look, look, we are destitute. We are poor. We have given up everything to follow you. What reward are we going to get? 
And then Jesus assured him in verse 28, he said, Truly I tell you, in the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields because of my name will receive a hundred times more and will inherit eternal life. But many who were first will be last and the last first. And then you see in chapter 20, the discussion continues. That's a bad chapter break right there. You know, the the chapters weren't included when Matthew wrote this. That's a bad chapter break because the parable comes on the heels of Peter's asking Jesus, don't we deserve something? Jesus, we've left everything. Don't we deserve blessing? And then Jesus told this parable, which makes us think you're feeding into what Peter's comment was. You're feeding into, yes, you deserve. But those of us who identify with the workers who went to work at 6 o'clock in the morning have the wrong perspective on the parable. Jesus was not saying... Hey, those of you who have served me since 6 o'clock in the morning are going to get the same as those who went out to serve me beginning at 5 o'clock. What he's saying is that every person that I save is a 5 o'clock worker. Everybody who has been brought into the kingdom of God was rescued and received grace at 5 o'clock There are no 6 o'clock workers here among us. There are no 9 o'clock. There are no noon. There are no 3 o'clock workers among us. We are all the workers hired, desperately needing pay for the day. And the generous landowner took pity on us. See, the, the point of the parable isn't that everybody, regardless of their length of time in serving Jesus, is going to receive the same reward even though some might deserve more and some might deserve less. That isn't the point of the parable at all. The point of the parable is that we don't deserve anything from Jesus. He simply gives to us because he desires to do so. He blesses us as five o'clock workers when we don't have anything to offer him. And so let me try to explain three different ideas here from this parable First, I want to talk about the need for grace. If we, are the, if we are the five o'clock workers, if every one of us is the one who was standing out in the marketplace waiting for someone to hire us, then we all can identify with the need for grace that these workers needed, that, that, that they had. That they were standing there, and as they, as they waited... They were thinking, someone needs to hire us. We have families at home that we need to feed. We have not earned any wages for today. How are we going to go back and face our wives, face our children, saying, I didn't bring any ham from the, or they wouldn't have had ham, turkey. How can we say we, we have not come back from the grocery store with anything? There's no milk. We don't have anything. They needed grace. And sometimes, I confess that I'm one of these. And you may be too. Sometimes those of us who pat ourselves on the back 
thinking we have worked for Jesus since 6 o'clock in the morning are grateful that he saved us, but we don't think we need as much grace as the pagans do. We say, yes, now Jesus, I know that you had to save me, but you didn't have to do as as much work to save me as you did this person because I wasn't as wild, I wasn't as worldly, I wasn't as godless, I wasn't as in the gutter. You did have to save me, but I didn't really need as much help as that person did. And that's because we think of ourselves as the people who went to work at 6 in the morning instead of the ones who were there at 5 o'clock saying, someone please hire me, someone please do something for me. And the reason that we have that mixed up idea is because of our standards of righteousness. When we begin comparing ourselves to other people, We see the differences in our lifestyles and we think we're so much better off than they are. But God doesn't use the standard of comparing our lives to those of other people. God compares our righteousness to his righteousness. And we're not even in the same ballpark there. If we only had a sense of how ruined and broken, how stained by sin we are, we would recognize the need for grace because the standard between our lives and the wickedness of other people is like this, but the standard between our righteousness and God's is farther than we even can imagine. Let me give you an example. During my Mount Vernon days, when I first started going to the YMCA, I, I recognized that I was not quite as flexible as I needed to be. I had heard that lots of injuries happen because people's ligaments and things like that get a little bit tight and they don't have flexibility and so they bend over or they do something and pop, something, something snaps in their body. And so I thought, I, I need to do some, some flexibility exercises. And I just told that to our youth group one Wednesday night. And one of the girls in our group said, Gary, I'm going to give you some of our cheerleading stretches. Here's what we do to kind of stretch. And so I said, well, all right, I'm, I'm going to do that. And so I began working and working. I was stretching my little body. And one night we were having... Uh, uh, Bible study at my house and this cheerleader showed up with with a group of friends and I said hey I want to show you the progress that I'm making on my stretching and so I sat down on the floor and I spread my legs as wide as I could and I bent over as far as I could and she started laughing because she thought I was joking you, you know when someone is trying to say, hey, let me show you how good I can sing, and then they just go off on this offbeat, you know, out of tune thing, whatever, and you, you say, oh, that was a funny joke. She thought I was joking, but I was as serious as I could be. That was as far, my, I, I thought, how can you think this is funny? Look at, look at the distance, I mean, look at the flexibility that I have. And she said, let me show you. And then she, it was Nikki Jacobson. She sat down on the floor, and I think she, 
when she sat down, she took her legs and wrapped them around behind her body like this and then bent over and did a cartwheel and all that type of stuff. And all of a sudden, I realized we're not in the same ballpark. I was doing the very best that I could and thought when my legs got a far, a, you know, apart this far and I bent over about this much, I thought, man, look at this flexibility. But we were using completely different standards. So it is with God. There is none righteous. No, not one. We pat ourselves on the back thinking we are the six o'clock workers when all of us are the five o'clock workers who have nothing to offer God. We simply say, God, please have mercy on me. That is the need for grace. Well, the second thing that I want you to see here is the puzzle about grace. And there really are two parts to that. One is the people who received grace. I mean, in this parable, these workers were there at 5 o'clock. No one had hired them all day long. But there is, the, there is something of a comment on these workers, maybe they weren't there at 6 o'clock in the morning. Maybe the reason that they did not get hired is because they weren't out there when, when all of the people were getting their laborers to come. Maybe they were kind of lazy. If someone needs to be rewarded, certainly it is not the lazy people. If someone is going to receive a full day's pay for only one hour's work, surely it is not going to be the lazy people. But it was. It was the people who did not deserve it. And so part of the puzzle that we have about grace is the people who get it. And part of the puzzle is not only who gets it, but how much they get. If this generous landowner had come out and said, hey, I need some people to go work. Wait a minute, what are you doing out here? It's 5 o'clock in the day. You still haven't gone out to work? No, no one has hired us. Well, look, you come out and you work for an hour, and I will give you an hour's pay. That would have been what they deserved. If he would have said, you come out and work in the field, and I'm going to give you two hours pay, I'm going to give you double what you deserve, then, that, then they would have said, oh, good, let's, let's go. But they didn't receive what they deserved. They didn't even receive more than they deserved. They received what they needed. The fact that they had not worked 12 hours did not negate the fact that they still had to provide for their families. It didn't, it didn't mean that they did not have financial needs of, at, at home or other places. And that's what we need to understand about the way that God works in our lives. God does not give us what we deserve. He gives us what we need. Not more than we do. We deserve nothing from Him. And God chooses to give us what we need. So when we're thinking about how God works in our lives, the word earn never appears. 
We don't earn anything from God. We don't deserve anything from God. In fact, do you remember young people won't even know what these books are now because we don't have them. Do you remember looking in the old dictionaries? You know, the books that you would have to look in and say, how, does this, how do you spell this word? Which was always curious to me when you would ask someone how to spell a word. Look it up in the dictionary. I don't know how to find it. I, I don't know where in the dictionary it is. You know, what, what is the third letter? I, I don't know. We used to have dictionaries and we used to have uh, a thesaurus, which was, you know, a book that had synonyms. And when, you know, when I, when I would get the little thesaurus and have to start writing college papers to describe myself, you know, I had to keep looking for uh, synonyms for ruggedly handsome and all keep going down through there. We used to have these books that would, would contain all of these various words. In Grace's Dictionary, you won't ever find the word earn. It, it doesn't appear. And one of the ways that God works in our lives is to help us understand that our church service, our offerings, whatever we might do, whatever we do to bless others, never earns us blessings from Him. He doesn't give us what we earn. We don't earn anything. He gives us what we need. And that's the puzzle of grace. The last thing that I want to talk about is the response to grace. Once we begin to understand, hey, I am a five o'clock worker, if Jesus had not intervened, if he had not come into my life, I would be hopelessly lost. I would have, I would have nothing at all that I could hold on to in this world. That grace generates a response. And, it, and the response shows up in two different ways. One of the ways is our deep devotion and loyalty to God. Do you think that these five o'clock workers... If this landowner would have gone out to hire again, do you think that they would have said, I'll work for him? Of course they would have. They knew him to be a generous man. They discovered in this transaction, he will do what is right and best for us. He gave, listen, they, they might have even tried to recruit other workers. Let me tell you how generous this man is. We got hired at 5 o'clock. And instead of paying us one hour's wage, he paid us everything that we needed so that we could go home and provide a meal for our families that night. Let's go work for him. The same is true with us. If we genuinely understand how blessed we are, it will be a response to bless others. Because we know how good God has been to us. Our devotion is to God. But then when we receive this type of grace, we also offer that sort of grace to others. We're not as harsh. We're not as demanding. We don't criticize. We don't ridicule. We offer the same sort of grace to others that God has given to us. I don't think that any one of us would not understand the picture that I am about to paint. Some of the most churchy people in our kingdom 
are some of the most self-righteous and meanest. And the reason that is the case is because they think they went to work at six in the morning. And they don't understand that Jesus brought them in at five. This parable opens up a whole new world for how we treat other people, for how we serve God. When we have the awareness, God, I am nothing but a five o'clock worker who was begging for someone to take pity on me, and you did. And as a result of that, I want to surrender myself to you and be gracious to other people. We're going to conclude today with a song of commitment. We do this every Sunday when we finish our services. And I don't ever like people to be ambiguous about what they might want to do in response. I always like to try to at least give some examples of ways that people can respond to what God's Word says. One lesson that we can pick up from this passage is that God is very gracious. And for people who are standing in the marketplace at 5 o'clock saying, I don't have any hope, he says, yes, you have. It's in me. And so if there's someone here today who has not yet received Jesus Christ as Savior, has not personally turned from his or her sin and received Jesus by faith. In just a moment, when we sing together, if you have some questions about how you can begin a relationship with God, I will be right here at the front. We'll be glad to talk with you about how to begin following Jesus.